Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 22nd of June 2020. Harvest is drawing nearer. So let's start with old crop feed wheat. Old crop feed wheat is still trading 160x. It's a very strange market at the moment. One minute you don't seem to find any. Next minute someone has nine loads they want to sell you. So there is kind of wheat out there, um, but it's not that obvious. And, And if someone's aware of big lumps of it... I would suggest that the timing is running out. Uh, There was, at one point, a very big carry into new crop, and lots of farmers were going to carry it. Um, Now, if you compare the price between July X farm and November X farm, uh, they're identical. So there is no carry, unless you want to carry it all the way through to next May, but that's kind of turning a blind eye to the storage risks and turning a blind eye to the interest on, on the money, unless you don't have an overdraft, I guess, but that still isn't really particularly good uh, economics. So Farm feed wheat, July, 160, and I see it kind of petering out, possibly drifting down a diddy bit as a month goes on, because I do think there is tonnage still to come out of the woodwork, and gradually the consumers are getting sorted. The new crop feed wheat, I've mentioned the price for November is 160. The harvest one is going to be the biggest battle. Technically, there is a number of consumers who are going to be buying harvest at, it's now a discount to, to the July price, two or three pounds a tonne. I think when we actually get into the middle of August and the combines are rolling everywhere, there will be a sudden drop-off in available places for the grain to go. Quite a lot of the stores are full of, of carried grain, be it malting barley, be it feed wheat, be it soft wheat, be it milling wheat, be it whatever someone's decided to tuck away. And I think with no probable export, because obviously our prices are much higher relative to the rest of Europe this year due to the lack of supply, due to the lack of planting that we've mentioned on many occasions, there won't be the boats Steaming out of Yarmouth, Lowestoft, Ipswich, Kings Lynn, taking away the surplus. Um, that could create an issue for one or two people who rely on that to get rid of their slightly damp grain and, and have an allowance instead of actually spending the money on drying it. And so there could be a little bit of pressure in the middle of harvest, depending on how the weather pattern runs and depending on how efficiently the, the barley and the oilseed rape has been moved. Because Storage, lots of people aren't particularly tempted to uh, invest in storage uh, from the merchanting side of the fence. So we shall see, but I suspect the harvest price will suddenly, uh, you'll get a a farmer saying, oh, I've been bid 155x, and you'll have some horrid old merchant like me saying, look, I'm only going to pay you 150 two or three delivered. In other words, the the, the like-for-like will be... The movement of the stuff at 155x is going to be two or three weeks later. And if you can accommodate that and it doesn't get in your way, then that's the right thing to do. But if you really need to move it that quickly or you can't hold that many tons, I think there will be a point where the price drops off. 
Yeah, so moving on, feed barley is getting into harvest mood. There doesn't seem to be many people uh, in the mind to buy old crop. It's done. Um, we are a week or so away from new crop barley arriving. Obviously, on the continent, barley has started already. Uh, Spain's got a good crop. Uh, some of the early barleys from the Black Sea area, Bulgaria. There's one or two very early ones had kilo weight problems due to the hot weather. But uh, that's no different to any other country. We, we possibly will have some very early ones with low kilo weights as well, where the crop has died. Uh, the interesting thing that is uh, occurring at the moment is the dynamic of what happens following the recent rain. Uh, there's been a good rain in the last week, and some of the crops have responded to the last actually fortnight's worth of raining. Others were too far gone, and um, and I'm told that some parts of the country look a lot, you know, this isn't going to do any good whatsoever. It really isn't, the crop's gone way too far. So it isn't a bonanza. It's certainly dampened prices and pushed everything down a bit, which is, you know, the, the dynamic of the market moving down is because some of the crop is going to perform better than we thought. And there will be some big yields on, on some fields in East Anglia, but it's it's how much damage was done and how poor is the rooting structure and just how small the harvest is going to be, we, we really won't get. I think we must also remember that the forecast ongoing, rain is one thing, but heat waves are another. And it uh, looks like next week we've got a heat wave coming through Europe. So we'll probably hit 30, 31, which is pretty uncomfy if you're a bit overweight like me. But um, in France is going to be into the mid-30s and that could well be shriveling up a few crops and might just make the mood feel slightly more friendly next week Um, because it is in the end the weather that's immediately happening that affects sentiment. So I think a heat wave will probably be slightly bullish to prices, although I don't see much changing through that. So feed barley value is, if you had old crop to clear up, 120x, if you're going to sell harvest, 120x, maybe 21, 22, depending on someone's mood on a particular day. But there seems to be the appetite gone uh, from chasing feed barley at this point. All seed rate has moved up a little bit. Uh, new crop prices, uh, 320. I haven't really got a story to tell you on that. Um, I just got a price out of Webby this morning, so I think I'll be... Uh, nondescript and say that's better than the price has been at any point so far so um, I don't expect anyone to come forward and sell me any oilseed rate because we're too close to the uh, the day of combining it and I think a lot of people are very nervous about what's actually going to come out of the field so we'll we'll wait for that moment so with that I think it's a wrap on the market yep we are getting perilously close to harvest the amount of grain moving out of our stores in the last two weeks of June is hideous. I mean, a classic, everything moves at once. I mean, we've got we've got lots of the futures wheat steaming out. Uh, we've got lots of the malting barley going, thankfully. Um, yeah, we really are at full tilt. Hopefully, by the time we get into the main thrust of harvest, there'll be very little here to move out and it won't be, uh, you know, constricting the yard. Although we have a long history of uh, nicking lorries when uh, when we get overcooked on something that's that, uh, you know, one person uh, brings some new crop in and then he can pick up a load of old crop and go out and save a bit of money on the haulage. But it looks like we're going to have a, a very big outloading month in June. And we should be clear. So um, our stores will be empty. I was expecting to carry old crop wheat and now I don't think I will be. So thanks for listening. Let's hope 
uh, you put your sun cream on next week and uh, let's hope the market does what you want it to do. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. DroneAg has launched Skippy Scout, a new, easy-to-use mobile app which is helping farmers walk crops more efficiently. Skippy Scout automatically flies a drone to capture leaf-level images, which offer vital broadacre crop insight. Skippy Scout is just £30 per month and can be used with most drones. The app is five times faster than walking crops on foot and provides high-resolution images that can help to identify weeds and pests. If you want to see more of your crop in less time, visit skippy.farm today. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week, you've got just me, uh, primarily, until we get to the beer bit, um, because I'm going to do a second in our series of of education. Um, Just little topics that I think need consideration when a farmer decides to sell grain it's not as straightforward as it seems I mean it's certainly a very easy process if you wanted to sell grain and you had some feed wheat for sale in in a, in a, a location in the county of Norfolk you could pick up the phone to any one of 10 15 people and they would have a facility to buy that grain from you and they'd have a value and they'd be able to send a lorry pick it up and then do the self-billing invoicing and all of the process that occurs uh, there isn't really that much to it and I think the, the most important thing is it's a very very easy process let's all remember and, and rejoice in in the fact of one important point our industry still enjoys the major benefit of a handshake well we can't do that anymore actually technically so you have to do virtual ones in case you catch a virus but it's word of mouth. There is an agreement between two people verbally. And through history, there's been about five people that I'm aware of on the farming side who have broken verbal agreements with me, never to trade with me again. And, and it's so frowned upon. It's such a terrible thing if someone tries to pretend because the market's moved that they didn't do something when everybody knows they did. So it doesn't happen because the level of trust the level of shame and the level of integrity that we all carry still exists. And thank goodness for that. We haven't got to do some crazy lawyer-induced contract uh, where everybody signs everything because there is still that old-school way of dealing. So with that in mind, there's a a thing that I believe from, from history, from the way it used to be done in the olden days and all that, Um, where spirit of the contract, two people fully intending to do a deal where they're going to look after each other, one's going to deliver the goods in perfect condition, the other's going to receive them in perfect condition, move them when he should move it, you know, pay a fair price, and if there's any sort of hiccups along the way, they, between the two of them, can sort out whatever problem amicably, easily, and fairly. So if that is the spirit of the contract, and it's a verbal agreement... You know, what possibly could go wrong? Well, as any of you might be chuckling, there are a number of things that can go wrong. But I think the most important thing is you set your stall out to be someone who is absolutely full of integrity from day one. And so there are moments when you're tempted 
and you must never step over to the dark side. You must always do the right thing on your contracts. My advice to anyone is, however big the temptation, you know, stick to the line, keep doing the right thing, because this industry has an annual, you know, replay. And if you keep in the industry for as long as an old codge like me, you know, that's 40 harvests, 50 harvests, and that's a long time dealing with a, with a farm, a long time dealing with people. And one moment of stupidity or doing something a bit dim will lose you that contract forever because it will never be forgotten. So with that little bit of preaching out of the way, there's, there's a couple of things that I think within the spirit of the contract need to be mentioned. There are a few people out there who think that within your AIC contract there is a tolerance on deliveries. Now, this is a particular uh, issue that uh, at some times when the price moves dramatically downwards and you've got a phenomenally high price contract, you know, there's a temptation to put a little bit too much on the lorry and overload him or what have you. Well, to a large degree, that's kind of governed now by the lorry drivers not being able to, to break the law. But you can put 30 tonnes on instead of 29 if, if the lorry's capacity is able to do that and it still keeps legal. So on a, with a 5% tolerance on a 203 tonne contract, that potentially is 10 tonnes. Now that's, you know, that's a significant amount of money if the market has dropped £70 a tonne, that's £700. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that at all. You know, it's, it's, it's about being conscious about what your contracts are at, and I think that's, that's perfectly fair, as long as you don't make the lorry illegal. On the other hand, if you have a lorry turning up that is expecting to move 29 tonnes, and the market's gone the other way, you've sold it at 130, and the price has gone to 200, I think it is a little bit dodgy to, or not in the spirit of the contract, to short load the lorry. If the lorry's there that could pick up between 29 and 30 tonnes, which is what the lorry driver's going to make is... is income from and you have a contract for 29 tons i think it's totally reasonable to expect you to load 29 tons now we have some people who think that everybody thinks like them and they think that i've got a five percent tolerance what i'm going to do is i'll load the first six lorries i'll see what the weight was and then i will the last lorry i will put on 19 tons and tell him that's it and to me, that particular moment is, is a moment where it's, it's kind of a, a betrayal of trust. It is undermining the contract. Now, you, lots of people probably will disagree with me, and I shouldn't be such a baby about it. And, but it, it's such a small percentage of people that think like that. I think it's worthy of a mention. 99% of people load the correct amount of grain onto the lorry and don't play what we call contractual games. So... Yes, you do have a 5% tolerance, up to um, 13 tonnes max, on, on depending on how big the, or how, how many tonnes the contract is, is based upon. But I think, I think it's important that you understand that if a merchant sent in 26-tonne capacity lorries against a high-priced contract that was £70 pounds high, you know, higher than the market, you would have no qualms about getting extremely angry and excited about that particular piece of behavior and I think that therefore the boot on the other foot for these one percent of people that think it's you know the right thing to do to short load I think yeah the flag is up you know everyone's spotted you offside you're putting the ball in the net and celebrating a goal 
well, do you know what? A little bit of shame on you, in my view. That's, that's up to you how you live your life. But that's something I wanted to mention and have done for a long time. So no doubt the only people who are going to be upset by that are the people who think like that. Right, the next thing is on specifications. Claims, rejections, etc. You know, there's an awfully large amount of misery that goes around. And in a year where the market moves in a very dramatic fashion, I I can safely say there are some companies that, that suddenly become a lot more interested in problems with the with the deliveries. Uh, and, you know, to my way of thinking, a, a contractual game is, you know, I've bought this stuff expensively, the market's dropped to the floor, if I can get out of it, it's saving me £50 a tonne. Very tempting. However, if you have, in the, in the case of our, our, our local favourite crop, malting barley, you know, th- there's, a, there's a myriad of things that you could get rejected for if someone's being particularly pedantic. Same as milling wheat, you know, if you really want to find a claim, they will. And I've, you have, I have been chastised for suggesting that millers have a claim culture, so I, sh- I shall just say if they wanted to, they could. Um, so as far as, as claims and, and, and rejections are concerned, this is my view, but this is not how the whole of the industry behaves. If you have a very high-priced malting barley contract for this coming harvest, let's say you, you sold some on a premium over futures for spring barley and you n- nailed it and it's £180 a tonne or £190 a tonne, and we're confronted with a harvest where potentially the price could be 130 that's a £60, £50 difference. If you deliver that barley on a 160 nitrogen contract and it comes in at one66 all right, you probably get to honest 165, but 166 is technically out of spec. If your consumer says, right, that's it, mate, you're in the feed bin, there's going to be some very big emotions flying around. There's going to be some big savings for the person who's bought it at that much money. Now, bearing in mind, if the boot was on the other foot, in other words, if you didn't deliver and the price had gone up £50, the people that you deliver it to tend to default you and I have no problem I default people if that is the case if I don't receive the goods at a price and and the market's gone up a lot I've got to replace it I will default because I believe that to be fair but this is where the 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 this isn't in your AIC contract but if you take that logic as being fair it is my view and this will upset one or two people in the trade and I apologize but I I think it's worthy of a mention if if the if the mentality is that someone's short they defaulted in a year where you need the replacement then if you are going to replace the barley at 50 pounds cheaper then it's totally reasonable to allow the person who's made a really good forward sale to maintain as much of that product of that premium as they can because you know the logic is fair is fair so for example if the farmer is rejected on 166 nitrogen and he gets its feed off you go the merchant can buy or the 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 molster or whoever can buy replacement barley in 50 pounds cheaper then by all means buy the stuff in at 50 pounds cheaper and then it'll put you know it'll, it'll cost more than feed so that the difference between malting and feed will be say 10 15 pounds a ton if the farmer you've rejected gets a feed price add the 50 pounds that you've taken from him to the feed price it's fair you still 
you know, you still effectively bought it uh, at the same level that you pre-bought. In other words, you've, you've made a contract to buy at a certain level. The farmer, in good faith, has done a deal. And I, I believe that if it's right one side of the line, it's right the other side of the line. Now, we as a business do that. We, if we buy it cheaper, we will take the, the bit that's missing and we will add it to the feed price that the farmer ultimately gets. It, it encourages growers to grow malting barley more regularly uh, and it takes a lot of the risk out. And, and let's face it, the risk that's facing agriculture in the, in the near future is far greater than just the anomalies of delivering grain against contracts. There's, there's lots of money going to go missing from our industry and lots of competition from abroad that isn't going to be the same spec, possibly. Uh, and I hope you've all signed that petition for the government to work on food standards and animal welfare because it's your industry. Uh, that's an aside. Anyway, so so back to the the the, the claim. It's, it's about mental attitude, and I think back to the spirit of the contract, back to the way that your relationship should be within any working relationship. I think you need to look whoever your buyer is in the eye and say, "Look, this is not fair. If you're going to just keep me in the feed bin and then not allow me to replace it, because that's the other trick or the other thing that's done by some few members of the trade, where they say, "No, we bought it from you." You can't bring anything in to replace it, even though it's £50 above the market. So it is a blatant profit being taken by that company. And so, for goodness sake, farmers, see that for what it is. It's opportunist and it is profit-making. And I personally do not allow my colleagues or this business does not do it. Yeah, just one other point. You know, that, that when people get rejected, there's a, a large element of, uh, you know, mud-flinging. There is no contractual obligation for anyone to take grain outside of spec. Uh, so they are technically correct to be able to reject it. So all I've been talking about is the replacement value and some of that money that a fabulous contract goes missing will make a big difference to you. But let's be real about the dynamics of this coming harvest and malting barley. If you're sold on a 1.6 nitrogen basis and there's a massive amount of barley out there that's coming our way, I don't think much of it is going to be below 1.6 nitrogen. I, I just don't. And I think there will be more barley this coming year destined to not make it than, than there normally is. I think we're going to see a lot more going into the feed barley bin. Uh, the, only, the only compensation for that is that there will be a lower yield, so it won't be volume quite as much going into the feed bin, but that's a bad joke. Right, so that's that's that one. I think the final thing I want to, because um, I'm gonna, I, this is all quite heavy stuff, and uh, and I'm looking forward to the bit where we drink beer. I think so. Now I'm going to move on to a final thing. This is an important point, and uh, this is this again will will create some emotion in the in the grain trade, but it's it is an important point, and it is something where you know we we talk about playing to our strengths. Uh, my business is a is a diddy little company in East Anglia predominantly 90 odd percent of it is norfolk trading only um so consequently we have relationships with with um our, our farmers and we have relationships with our consumers the grain in a, in a kind of circular never-ending groundhog day type way does the same thing every year you know i pick up i pick up grain from jeff portfleet and it goes into alistair duffield's mill at saxlingham and it's kind of that's what happens most years you know out of the last 30 that's what's happened now, this year, we're confronted with a much smaller UK feed wheat crop. A big barley crop and plenty of feed barley about, but we're confronted with a very 
much smaller feed wheat crop. And that's regional. So in East Anglia, it is down, but it is not down as much in terms of acreage as, say, somewhere, some of the areas like Lincolnshire, parts of Lincolnshire, which probably, if they're lucky, got 10% in, and it is in such poor condition, they really are going to be short of wheat in that corner. Now, that means all the mills in that area, which has normally got an abundance of, of wheat around it, is going to be pursuing their wheat from other parts of the country. And the and East Anglia is, as always, uh, because of our yield, because of our climate, because of our soil types, because of all of the benefits that we have, we'll be the last place farming because we've got the best land. A sweeping statement. Um, but as a, as a large overview, that's kind of how it is. Hence my business running on stores. It's, it's an area that is a surplus area. So... What's going to happen this year is lots of people are going to be bidding you for ex-farm wheat. And there'll be times when some of the guys who perhaps aren't normally as aggressive as, as, as others are going to be really on your, in your face and being quite aggressive with the pricing. People need to have, uh, there's an old phrase, you need to have toffees in your window. And that means if you own a sweet shop, if you haven't got something in stock to show people in the window to tempt them into the shop, they ain't going to buy anything off you. So the grain trade has to have supply, has to have grain that they can actually offer to the consumer. And if someone comes along and pays up or aggressively says, right, I need to get a fair amount of supply because I've got lots of contracts throughout the whole of the country that I've got to supply and some key areas are short. When you sell the grain to the lovely, smiley rep who works for whoever the big company is, and they're always lovely and they're always smiley and they're always, like, you know, utterly charming and know the dog's name and know when the wife's birthday is and all of those things. But when it comes to actually having responsibility, they don't have any. They just give you a price and then it's never their fault. I'm sorry about that. It was him. It was him. It was somebody else. Um, The reality is if you are selling grain, you have to ask a question where's it going to go to now no one's going to be able to answer that because half the 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 uh, point of the grain trade is to make money from the logistics you know if i buy some grain in terrington's and clement and make a sale to great yarmouth on the same day with with working out that the haulage is going to be five pounds fifty the actual haulage between terrington's and clement and yarmouth is going to be seven pounds fifty uh, so the trick for me is sometime later in the year i'll buy some feed wheat in Runham, which is very near Yarmouth, for those uninformed and out of the county, and I will sell some wheat to King's Lynn, which is very near Tarantin St. Clement. So perhaps I can get the haulage done for a fiver, and perhaps on both cases. And although the, the disparity in prices, one of them's going to make a great big profit and one of them's going to make a great big loss, I'll make one pound fifty or £2 out of the process of, of swapping my book around. So when you when you buy grain from a farm, you can't say categorically that it's definitely going to go there. But if the customer, i.e. the, the merchant, has a, a national standing and has got lots and lots of supply contracts throughout the whole of the country, there's going to be definitely a point where lots of East Anglian wheat is going to be sucked out of East Anglia to go to these other places. Now, fine, if you're totally confident in your quality... But there is something, I think, a risk aspect or something reassuring or something that you need to consider as one of your, yeah, it is a risk issue. If the grain leaves the, leaves the farm 
And, you know, you, you can't absolutely 100% guarantee that it hasn't got a rat dropping or there hasn't been a leak in the bin or there hasn't been an incident that makes something bad happen. Occasionally something happens that you weren't watching or you didn't see or you didn't happen or a spanner fell in it and it, that's the thing that broke the meal or whatever it is. Your grain, if it's picked up from Runham and taken to Great Yarmouth, it's a 10-mile round trip. If there's something wrong, if there's something wrong with that load, the cost of it is minimal to get back to the farm. Now, the dynamic is, if you've had your wheat picked up from an East Anglian farm and it's been put on a lorry and taken to Manchester or taken to Cly or taken to even Billsthorpe, you know, some of of those haulage rates are significantly into the teens per tonne. And then you get a redirection charge and a, a selling of a distressed load in a far-off county is never a pleasurable thing. You never get what you would call a fair or accurate price. So you get a discount on what you sell the distressed load for and probably some, you know, if it's wet or something, the, the, the drying charges can be hideous. But more importantly, you quite often have the redirection charge on top, which can go up to 20-odd pounds a tonne. Now, it's never considered when you sell the grain there with Mr Smiley but Mr Smiley hasn't got a clue and when if you say you took that stuff to Cly oh I didn't realize don't shout at me please it's like you know all right stop crying it someone at your company's decided to move it there you didn't tell me you're going to take it up there I'm I'm upset but at no point in time did you ask the question and you've made an assumption totally fairly an assumption because 99 times out of 100 in the last 100 years, your grain's gone to a local mill. Now that the world has got a problem for this coming harvest, you've not considered that probability. So let's, you know, let's all be a little bit aware when you're selling grain this autumn that the UK feed wheat demand is going to be dragging it elsewhere. And therefore you have a, another little thing to consider. Just say, ask that question of Mr Smiley and say, look, you know, Where's it going to go? So my, my final little um, awareness, harvest movement. Most people, harvest movement means straight away, seven days. Within seven days of them saying, right, it's ready, I'd like it to go. Without a doubt, most of the trade at times um, struggle a bit with that, but largely they meet that spec. I think there's going to be a little bit of stretching of that this year with, with the lack of boats and the consumption homes only having so much that they can actually take and there not being that many stores. Some companies have a slightly different view on what that means and that could put you in a muddle with either that crop or with the one you're expecting to put into the same space later. So, so just be aware, if it's harvest movement, Mr Smiley, I keep using that lovely phrase for our rep, but Mr Smiley... What does harvest movement mean? Can I have some clarity on that? Please, will you put in the special terms, seven, yeah, movement within seven days. If someone comes along and says, look, you've, you've sold me 500 tonnes and told me you want it to go, I've got fixings that go starting, you know, three days from now, I'm going to hoss into it and it will be gone over a 10-day period or 14-day period. If you, as long as they're starting on it and hitting it hard and they give you a reason and, 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 and their plan... I think that's within the spirit of the contract. But I think that, you know, let's let's be clear in the in the outset your expectations when you expect it to start moving and be very clear that if you if it if all five hundred tons has to be gone by a certain date, 
then you have to state that at the time you're negotiating. Don't hide that fact, you know, because I think, you know, 500 tonnes in a hurry, you aren't going to move all of it in three days, are you? So I think with that, that's enough of the issues that you need to be brushing up on, ready for your harvest debates. And I'm now going to go and find someone to drink a can of beer with. To prove that we're not alcoholics, Caught by the Fuzz is a beer that we, we looked at three or four weeks ago and didn't drink. So we've actually got it out of the fridge, and I'm going to drink that because it's it's uh, got staying power in our fridge. What have you got? And I've got, and I've got Josh with me today, by the way. Hello, everyone. Uh, I've got the London Beer Factory, and the beer is Hazy Days. Obviously okay. spelt with Z to be hipster. That's very hipster. And, yes. and mine's, mine's brewed in Berkshire, Windsor. This is brewed in southeast London, doesn't go into where. It also actually has gone into a full depth of uh, malt. So it says low colour marisotta uh, with oat and wheat in there. So that's. Um, so the oat and wheat's made it hazy, is it? Is that what that's all about? I guess so. I think hazy's definitely been in the last couple of years, has is, is been popular in the beer market. Yeah, it has, not it? Yeah. Although this, I must admit, this looks more like a Rattler, um, which anyone familiar with. German or the Austrian side of uh, of low alcohol beers, they look really good, but this one doesn't taste as good as a Rattler. I don't is, think. Is that is that low alcohol? No, this is uh, six four point six percent. Okay, mine mine is is five uh, percent, and um, I've managed to to do a Webby style pouring, and so I can't get anywhere near the beer at the moment. I'm going to drink out the bottom, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I will say I, I went in in the office just then. So he was going come and drink a beer for the podcast. There was a dramatic lack of enthusiasm, so I've, I've hoodwinked poor old Josh. Yeah, no, why not? It's a Friday, lovely day. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of a bit muggy, isn't it? I mean, we we were talking about um, heat wave coming up, weren't we? Yeah, next week it could be interesting. Um, I think by the end of the week, people might start feeling a bit more bullish towards the market based on the weather. I think it's going to be dry and hot and. We've had rain, but those drought-stressed areas are probably going to look pretty crap by the next week as well. So, Well, there's certainly been a, a, a very large amount of rain, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we weren't covered quite as much as West Norfolk, and there was sort of 90 mil over 24 hours or something in one place, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, yeah. Apparently to the west of the county, 90 mil or something like that, which is significant. Yeah. One, one thing about beers, actually, these days, is they're getting stronger and stronger, which is fine, but that means you can't obviously have them and drive I've just took a sip of mine and uh, it's very peachy I don't know if I like that oh um, yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend mine again I mean yeah it, it's a pale ale and obviously there's so many pale ales they want to make it different but it doesn't look right. yours doesn't look very appetising it looks like no. kind of apple juice yeah it's yeah it's not. It's not great. It's okay. I mean, it's fine. But Mine, mine's a nice colour and it's peachy, which is uh, aesthetically. The bottle's aesthetically pleasing. The glass, the colour of the beer is aesthetically pleasing, but it kind of like peach. Oh, I'm not sure. Peach is the one. Is that? Is that for old blokes? Probably not. Is it? No. Yeah. One of my friends works for a, a new brewing company called Jubel, and they do um, beer kind of infused with ones with peach, ones with elderflower. And it gives a slight variation on the uh, craft brewery market. Because instead of making it super hoppy in an IPA or something random, um, they're aiming at it at people that maybe aren't uh, beer aficionados, but you can just 
go to uh, a pub and have or on a hot day um, and have just a, a really nice refreshing beer that's mildly fruity fine it, it won't please everyone but for people that don't like beer that much it's really drinkable yeah okay that's bringing more people into the beer sector yeah so, definitely yeah. well i think they have a 50 50 male female split don't know about transgender ones but i know that <laughs> the level is 50 50 male female split which is actually brilliant i don't think many other craft breweries have that get some get some up it's, I mean, yeah, obviously well, this yeah. is the aficionado's um site for beer tasting and, and everybody hangs on every word on it yeah We'll do Actually, this. yesterday I went for a beer in a pub. Well, I say in a pub. I got a takeaway beer from a pub. And it is a local brewery beer. So there's a few of those you can imagine. And it was £4.90. And I asked why it was so much, like, why it had gone up to five quid when it normally would be four. Not that it makes that much difference, really. Um, but it's because they said the malting barley price had increased. <laughs> Did you. Did you manage to persuade them that you knew what well, they were talking about and I one, said, one pence would rep- represent £100 a tonne? I, 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 was, I said oh, a year ago is, it was you know £190 a tonne and then at harvest it got split to 120 and it currently is you know, the best part of oh, 120 130 and it was just, that that's, was not the reason. That's so got, That's just classic, isn't it? It's yeah. chuck it at the farmer, it's expect their fault. Brewery, um, expect breweries to be charging more money for beers in pubs. And apparently they're all going to be re-brewing, or they've started, I think Moretti, Carlsberg have been re-brewing, so they'll get their first deliveries in some pubs today. Okay, I heard. so fresh beer. Fresh beer, yeah. Because at, at the moment there's only two beers on out of about 10, 15, 20. So. Okay, so yeah. I mean I haven't actually managed to uh, get a beer out of a pub for four months. So It was the rising sun in Coltishall. Okay. I would recommend it. And it's actually, uh, if people who own a pub or have any interest in owning a pub listen to the podcast, the, the demand is there badly because there's a big green at the Rise of Cultural, which is publicly owned, and it is full of people going from the pub, even in uh, drizzly weather. Okay. So there are, there are, as soon as pubs reopen, That's I think there's not going to be a shortage, especially if you've got a decent-sized pub garden. Just we, we, a little while ago, we... Um just a little plug for the opposition here. Uh, we, you were watching a video on plant to pint, weren't you? Yeah, it was. It was I thought it was really good, a uh, really good idea. Um, so did yeah. I. I've, I've sent them. Yeah. I've sent both Matthew and Matthew Adams from Adams and Howling and Bob King have have. Uh, well, Matthew's put the thing together. I think uh, David Jones from Morley videoed it, from what I can see. Um, but it's great. We we got the link via the EDP, didn't we? But um, yeah. plant to pint. And it's it's a kind of a, a, a go through of the varieties, go through of the market, go through of the dynamic of what the market is. I think it's really informative. Phil Simons from Prime was there. He did he did the agronomic aspects. Bob King did his his usual. You know the depth of knowledge in that man's head is is a bit too much probably to cope with. But he you know he reeled it all off. And uh, and Matthew kind of he, he's the natural compare, isn't he? He needs to be on World of Sport or something yeah. like Diggy Davis. Oh, I thought I thought it was a really good idea actually. Just original and just kind of well put together. It wasn't overly yeah, complicated. You know, you've, just... got to, you've got to have the looks to be on TV, and obviously Matthew's pulled that one off. I I hide behind a face a face for radio, but no. I, I all joking aside, that was a super, I think it's a really good 
video. So I think uh, a little plug there, if anyone wants to watch it, Plant to Pint, you can get a link via the EDP. It's, it's worth watching and very, very informative about varieties coming through. So good on you, boys. I like it and I love anything that promotes that uh, malting barley thing. So, yeah, I agree. Okay, let's finish these disgusting beers yeah. and um, get back to being grumpy, shall we? Yes, that would be lovely. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 